assumption long held throughout history that wealth creation is inherently unjust, that the wealthy get wealthy on the backs of the poor, and therefore once they do get wealthy, we can't really do anything about that, but we can force them to redistribute it. And I think that's been the basis for a lot of the socialists and communists and all these um, uh, economic-based theories about uh, because it's inherently un unjust to create wealth, there's nothing wrong with taking it away from those who have it. Uh, and now we're starting to realize as more people in the world get wealthy that they did work for it. That was Joe Carter. He is a senior editor here at the Acton Institute, a regular on the Acton Power blog. And uh, we are going to be talking with him today here on the podcast about his recent post and the couple of upcoming posts uh, about a recently released evangelical manifesto on wealth creation, a topic that is for some reason controversial, I suppose. Wealth creation you'd think would be a good thing, but there's a lot of misconceptions about it, and uh, apparently there's a need for some explanation and defense of the concept in the evangelical world. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit here on Radio Free Acton. Hi, everybody. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermoss. It's my pleasure to be your host today. Uh, after our conversation with Joe Carter, we're going to be heading over to uh, an upstream segment. Bruce Edward Walker is back with a conversation uh, with his former Mackinac Center colleague, Daniel Montgomery, on several new jazz releases by some fine female vocalists. Uh, that'll be a good segment coming up, but uh, without too much uh, delay... Let's head over to my uh, talk with Joe Carter, senior editor here at the Acton Institute on uh, wealth creation here on Radio Free Acton. One of the perennial issues that you can uh, always go to if you want to get involved in a discussion with somebody and maybe have a little controversy, you can always go to issues of uh, wealth and poverty. And uh, there is uh, some new, uh, uh, well, a new manifesto that has been released uh, on wealth creation. And uh, Joe Carter is with me to discuss this. Joe's a senior editor here at the Acton Institute, one of the top guys on the Acton Power blog. And uh, first of all, Joe, welcome to Radio Free Acton. Glad to have you today. Well, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you had a post uh, uh, back on October 19th uh, titled An Evangelical Manifesto on Wealth Creation. And I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of a just a little information on exactly what this is. This is a this is a, a new document that's been released, uh, and uh, I guess the first question is uh, what what is the manifesto that we're talking about here? Well, this was a manifesto that was released earlier this year that really just didn't get a lot of attention, not nearly enough as it deserved. I was created by the Laufian movement and a uh, group called um, Businesses Mission Global, uh, and it was organized around. Uh, they all met in Thailand for the um, for the Laufian conference. And they, uh, while they were there, they got together um, uh, 30 people from 20 nations, mostly from the business world and also from church and the missions field and academia, to kind of uh, come up with a manifesto about how to how why wealth creation is important um, uh, for for Christians and for the world. Now, now the the one of the things that I I often I, maybe this is just me being a little bit naive uh, on the conservative side here, but I always think that you know look. 
sure there are questions about the the justice of uh, wealth distribution and and what's what's how much is too much and how much is not enough. Uh, we we can have those discussions and there are legitimate discussions there. But it seems to me that that wealth creation itself is all is is pretty apparently a good thing. Um, if if we want to avoid poverty, we need to have resources. We need to have wealth. So why is it necessary to come out with a, a document that? is basically explaining to people that, hey, wealth creation is good. Isn't it kind of self-evidently a good thing? Well, unfortunately, it's, it's really not. And um, uh, the Laos End movement started about uh, 40 years ago. It's probably in the early 1970s. And they expanded. It was first about just uh, global evangelism. It started with Billy Graham and some other groups. Uh, and then they started when they got around the world and they started adding more groups. They started adding a bunch of um, uh, kind of Latin American, the- uh, Latin American theologians who were really – uh, into social justice and the kind of uh, – and down there at the time, the um, liberation movement, liberation theology was a big thing. Uh, and so at the time, wealth creation uh, wasn't important. People just assumed that what happened was we need wealth distribu- redistribution. The wealthy countries would just give to the poor countries, and the poor countries would be better off. Uh, and then after – you know, now, 40 years later, we realize that's not the way that works. But what needs to happen is – Poor countries need to create their own wealth. We can't just redistribute it and expect them to, to have long-term uh, economic impact. So now I think this, this is one of the reasons why uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, conservative, new liberal uh, people who are concerned about social justice and, and concerned about these issues uh, explaining why wealth creation is necessary and why it's, uh, why it's much better than foreign aid and redistribution to have long-term effect on people's lives. Now, what, what is actually in the manifesto? What's the content? Well, they have uh, uh, 11 affirmations, such as uh, wealth is created in uh, God the creator. Uh, wealth creation is a holy calling. It's, uh, it's a God-given gift committed by the Bible. Uh, wealth creators should be confirmed by the church. Uh, it explains wealth hoarding is, is wrong and things like that. So it's, it's basically uh, things that um, can be gleaned directly from the Bible. They, they want to make they're the very biblical-based groups and so they wanted to make sure that everything that they uh, affirmed could be backed up by the Bible. And they've also produced a couple of – since the, the manifesto came out, they started producing some papers kind of explaining more in depth some of these issues and, and why they're important. So I think it's a great first step on on waking people up to realizing that um, if we really care about our, our neighbor, we should be caring about wealth creation because it's part of our God-given mandate to um, uh, subdue the world and create it and expand it. And just make the, the world a better place for our neighbor. It's it's interesting to I'm just looking at uh, at the post uh, that you wrote here in in point five, where it talks about wealth hoarding being wrong and wealth sharing should be encouraged, of course, but there's no wealth to be shared unless it's been created, and that's that's a very simple point, but it's it's probably one that's easily overlooked when you're talking about questions of wealth and poverty. People just assume that there are the wealthy and there are the poor. And there's no thought into that, that goes into how did the wealthy get wealthy or how, what, what are the reasons that are keeping the poor in poverty? And there's no thought given to that basic point that you have to be able to create wealth in order to redistribute it. It's, there's this kind of assumption long held throughout history that wealth creation is inherently unjust, that the wealthy get wealthy on the backs of the poor. And therefore, once they do get wealthy, we can't really do anything about that, but we can force them to redistribute it. And I think that's been the basis for a lot of the socialists and communists and all these um, the economic-based theories about uh, because it's inherently un- unjust to create wealth, there's nothing wrong with taking it away from those who have it. Uh, and now we're starting to realize as more people in the world get wealthy, 
that they did work for it. They, you know, it does come from putting our labor and our, our ideas to work uh, and improving the lives of our neighbors. That's how we gain wealth. And so obviously we should share with those who aren't fortunate enough to have it. Uh, but to share it, we must create it. And that's why I'm uh, making sure that people understand that wealth is not wealth creation is not inherently just and that is necessary to to help the world. Yeah, it's it's nice to see groups. Uh, and we talk about uh, you mentioned uh, the business's mission global is involved in this business's mission seems like a great uh, a great way to for, for a Christian, for a person with a Christian worldview to look at uh, their 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 work in the in the regular world out there uh people who start businesses who work in in corporations or businesses can you know just to to view their their work as part of their uh work for god and uh to you know creating some of that wealth that that then can help other people rise out of poverty you know it's 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 great to shift that focus from just alleviating poverty to uh to to trying to get at the root causes of poverty and helping people to overcome it themselves. Yeah, that's right. And uh, business's mission is, is one of those, uh, too often we Christians kind of narrow down the, the role of the Christian as just evangelization and looking at the spiritual needs for the for the after our, after our lives are over. And business's mission was one of those kind of movements that realized that uh, there's so much more that can be done, kind of a holistic transformation of the, the person. Uh, when people have jobs, they can take care of themselves and then they can live more fruitful lives. And then they um, just kind of expand the kingdom of, of God by helping people meet their physical needs and their spiritual needs at the same time. And one of the ways we could do that is by creating wealth, making sure people have jobs, uh, things like that. So business's mission is very is a very important movement, I think, that needs a lot more attention from the Christian community. Now, you're going to be posting, I'm sure, a little bit more about this, uh, the manifesto and, and the uh, the resulting papers and the work that comes out of uh, considering this and getting it distributed around the world. Uh, these papers that that the group has uh, that 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 released the manifesto, they've issued a number of papers. You said, and what what are some of those about? I'm assuming you're going to be working up uh, some posts that that relate to those uh, the topics that they're going to try and address there as well, right? Yeah, one one of my posts this week was about wealth creation and the poor. They have some on uh, the role of the church in wealth creation, uh, wealth creation within the global cultural perspectives, and one on wealth creation uh, from the biblical perspective, what the biblical views and perspectives are on it. Uh, so they're really trying to kind of dig in deeper and, and explain in more detail what what it means to uh, that say wealth creation is godly. Instead of just one of these kind of things where you just a one-off manifesto and you just kind of assume people understand what it means, they're really going to try to explain what it uh, what it means and how it uh, can be used to. Um, change people's lives. Well, John, looking forward to reading more about this. Looking forward to your posts. Thanks uh, for talking with us today. Joe Carter, he's the senior editor here at the Acton Institute, also an editor over at the Gospel Coalition. You can find his writings both here and there. Uh, and, you know, check out the Power blog. Uh, we always want to remind you of that, blog.acton.org, where Joe uh, is a regular over there. Joe, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thanks. Appreciate Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Upstream, where culture is upstream from politics. And today I'm talking with Daniel Montgomery, a former co-worker of mine and a, and a very dear friend who is a uh, big fan of jazz music, as am I. And we're going to uh, steal an idea that uh, I got from the Wall Street Journal, and that is to discuss 
three female jazz vocalists and their new releases because we seem to be going through a tremendous renaissance of uh, great jazz vocalists. I mean, it is uh, an embarrassment of riches as far as I'm concerned. And uh, we're going to be discussing Liz Wright's new release, Grace, Dee Dee Bridgewater's Memphis, Yes, I'm Ready, which technically is not a jazz album, but Dee Dee Bridgewater is best known for her jazz recordings, but this is a soul album, and a new release on Mac Avenue Records by Cecile McLaurin-Sylvant called Dreams and Daggers. So, um, Daniel, why don't you get us started? And uh, uh, out of the three, which one do you think uh, best represents uh, acting themes, but uh, as well as holds up musically? I enjoy Liz Wright's album, Grace, produced by Joe, Joe Henry. Henry. Yes, I, uh, Madonna's brother-in-law. I did not know that. Yes, yes. He's married to Madonna's sister and uh, had a solo career of his own that was uh, quite pronounced. He's sort of like the, the T-Bone Burnett of uh, kind of alt-country uh, kind of... Uh, easygoing folk rock type music, but uh, he, he's terrific in and of himself, but I, I think he's also a terrific producer. Joe's won Grammys for his blues, traditional blues, contemporary blues. I don't know what uh, what all of the uh, categories that the Grammys have, but traditional or contemporary blues albums. Uh, so I, I hear that, him bringing that to this Liz Wright record. And it, it pulls Liz a little bit, not the first time, but a little more bluesy than it is mm-hmm. uh, kind of traditional, um, uh, some of Liz Wright's other work. Well, yeah, and she does uh, tremendous covers on here as, as well as a, an amazing and original song. But uh, uh, she does Bob Dylan's Every Grain of Sand, which is uh, just a, one of the... Uh, one of the amazing songs from his uh, latter renaissance from the 1980s. And uh, Alan Toussaint's Southern Nights, which many people might remember from what I thought was the nadir of Glenn Campbell's career when he covered it because he just kind of focused on the vamp as opposed to the actual lyrics of the song. But uh, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm pretty hot on this album too. I just think it has just a tremendous sound to it. And... Uh, Lyrically, I think where she's, and thematically, I think she's leading us into uh, embracing Southern culture in, in a way that is respectful and uh, not the least bit nostalgic. I think that the title track, Grace, is, I'm, I'm a sucker for this, uh the spiritual side of blues and uh, the gospel side of blues, basically. Um, I think it's the standout track on this album. Right. Well, you know, it, it starts out with a bang. There, there's a uh, Barley is the opening track, and uh, I believe Mavis Staples covered that, and uh, Mavis Staples is one of my all-time favorites. And anyone who just has the, the chutzpah to try and tackle anything by Mavis Staples and... and not having it be a song that's traditionally thought to be in your wheelhouse is really, really amazing. P.P. Uh, P. Arnold uh, did that back in uh, 1970 in an album that was just re- released. It was recorded in 1970 with Eric Clapton and uh, Barry Gibb and uh, 
members of Derek and the Dominoes, and she does pretty much uh, the same thing. She takes a staple singer song and then just totally reinvents it in the style of Tina Turner and as a southern blues shouter, and it, it's it's absolutely wonderful. So. Let's turn a little bit to uh, Cecile McLaurin-Sylvant. Uh, she's a, a jazz singer who uh, is from uh, Detroit, I believe. Oh, no, she's from Miami. She's from Miami. Uh, I'm thinking Dee Dee Bridgewater, who's actually from Flint. But uh, Sylvant is uh, uh, an amazing, an amazing singer. And she has some... Uh, this is a double album set, and I have to confess that when... Uh, I ordered the album, it, it came, and uh, instead of disc one and disc two, I got two versions of, or two exact copies of disc one, so I had to go to one Ugh. of the online services to uh, listen to the second uh, the second disc, but um, still in all, I, I think it, again, we're, we're talking about an embarrassment of riches, this, this woman has... Uh, a jazz combo behind her. This is on Mac Avenue Records, and that's a Detroit-based uh, rec recording company. And the the group that she has behind her is just it, it, it will raise your hair. It, they they are so good. They are so tight, and just uh, provide amazing accompaniment. And you could easily strip the vocals off this album and say this in in and of itself is comparable to some of the best jazz albums from the um, early to mid-1960s. I, I, I love the music on it. And then when the songs come in, you're thinking, holy cats, this woman is doing some amazing versions of uh, old Broadway show tunes. Uh, she does an old um, hokum blues uh, by Ida Cox that I, I wouldn't recommend for casual listeners because <laughs> it, it, it's... Um, it's a little bit body. Uh, it's a lot of bit body and uh, extremely risque. But uh, so, what did you think of this? What I'm interested to to know what you think about this embarrassment of riches. Bob Dylan once uh, ha has said, probably in the last decade, that him growing up in the, him writing songs in the '60s and '70s was simply a more flourishing time for creativity. So, it. What do you think is uh, what do you think owes that embarrassment of riches to? Is it well? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you. I think that there was a, 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 a long drought, a fallow period in pop culture creativity, and uh, I, I don't want to go too far into that because obviously there were, were exceptions to that. But I, I think as the industry changed, it became more and more difficult to find some of the uh, more creative people that were out there. And now that uh, the, the technology has been adopted by many people and adopted by many of the artists, it's easier to find it. I think that there's a lot of smaller record companies such as Mac mm -hmm. Avenue that mm -hmm. uh, are resuscitating, as, as Rapound would say, the dead art. Hmm. And you know, jazz has never been dead, but uh, it took a long nap. And as, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, you're talking about a guy who used to love going to the Village Vanguard in Greenwich Village and to see Josh Redmond and all of the, the, the wonderful classic acts before uh, time took its toll or that the industry just changed. So uh, jazz clubs are few and far between, jazz labels are few and far between, uh, which leads us into Dee Dee Bridgewater who has been recording since the 1960s, but uh, in order for her to have a career, she had to go to France. And 
uh, now that she's back, uh, she was born in Memphis but grew up in Flint, and uh, Flint, Michigan, and uh, listening to AM radio, and uh, her new album is recorded with uh, the, the son of the man who produced a, a lot of the, the great uh, songs for um, Al Green, and as well as uh, it's produced by Dee Dee's daughter. And it's called Memphis, Yes, I'm Ready. And uh, readers might, or listeners might recall that uh, Yes, I'm Ready was a, a big hit for Barbara Mason back in the early 1960s. And she just does a bang-up job on it. It's absolutely terrific and, and, and wonderful. And uh, this is on, OK, on the OK label, which uh, I think has been a label that was resuscitated recently. But uh, that's best known for some of the blues and R&B that was recorded in the 1930s, 1940s. And uh, it, it, it just features many, many covers of great, great songs that uh, uh, like I Can't Stand the Rain, which is more recent, uh, and I'm, I'm reading from the uh, back of the CD right now, and uh, as well as Baby, B-A-B-Y, which is was covered by Rachel Sweet back in uh, the mid-1970s, and Carla Thomas did it originally, which is just a, a, an amazing Stax Bolt rhythm and blues song. So, you know, what, what did you think of these, Dan? Well, my I, I think that my favorite playlist if I had to create a playlist on uh, online service it it'd be heavy in the ballad uh, ballad of of these ladies there that's what's near and dear to my heart from kind of a, a tying together all three of these records and um, I I think that there is it's it's still a motivational time in music, whether it's new artist or old artist. I would agree with you that our exposure to 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 being able to have access to such a wide variety of new artists and old artists who are still making music today, it's it's an exciting time to be um, a fan of of jazz and blues. Right, and 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 what what needs to be remembered as well that jazz music is. Uh, predicated on the blues, which was also predicated on Negro spirituals. And so there's a heavy spirituality, whether it's implicit or explicit in the lyrics, that uh, you could take it to what is commonly said about Hank Williams' music, is that uh, there's definitely the, the Saturday night, Sunday morning uh, dichotomy in the music. You know, like I said, with... Uh, Cecile McLaurin Sylvan covering Ida Cox. I mean that that, that is an, um, a very body song, but um, it's also balanced with you know much sweeter, softer songs about uh, spiritual love and um, spirituality in general. So speaking of spirituality, I, I think uh, we we have to talk about the Belfast Cowboy who has a new album out. So. Uh, we're going to push aside the three ladies right now very gently and, and uh, with much admiration and respect and, and talk a little bit about Van Morrison's new album, Roll With The Punches. And Van Morrison has always been somewhat of a, a blues shouter and a R&B aficionado. And I say R&B for some listeners, that, that means rhythm and blues. Uh, he, he, yes, is a rock star. 
I guess you could say that because he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I've never really considered his music mm-hmm. to be rock, mm-hmm. uh, despite having written what I think is the probably the best rock song of all time, and that's Gloria. But uh, you know that was back in like 1965, and here we are in 2017, and he's come out with what his you know 32nd solo album, and uh, the usual suspects are on it, like Georgie Fame and, and what have you. And it, it, it um, contains a lot of what I think is of, of a spiritual nature, but uh, you, you wouldn't expect anything less from Van Morrison because uh, ever since his first solo album, Astral Weeks, there's just been this predominant view of uh, virtuous living and uh, spiritual love and uh, admiration for what um, for the the cosmology as he perceives it at that given point in time because his religion has you know essentially changed over over the years, but it, it it's still very much uh, one of virtuous living and um, taking care of one another. Yeah, when I was in college, which this would have been early '90s, I remember having a. Very shallow or surfacey, certainly not an in-depth conversation about Van Morrison. But he and Robbie Robertson had just released a song, Whenever God Shines His Light. Mm -hmm. And and I was talking to a a fellow floor mate saying, have you heard the new Van Morrison song? And and uh, I read him the lyrics and he's like that's van morrison because it was very spiritual and at the time it wasn't surprising to me that he could he was in this mystical spiritual kind of making sense of things so it wasn't at all surprising that that he sang about whenever god shines his light uh but uh, here, fast forward to even this track. There are, or this album, "Roll with the Punches." It has, it it speaks to more of that. It, I I think that there's some uh, some tracks that if you uh, you could you could see being sung in church. Benediction. Benediction. Right. There's yeah. the, there's organ. There's uh, just a real feel. And there's a real sentiment, more than just the sound of it, but there's a real sentiment of things where uh, I don't know what what he grasps with, what he wrestles with, if he's wrestling angels or if he has a, a firm conviction for his uh, Christian life. But the songs, the music that he's writing even now, uh, is uh, it speaks to, to a conversation worth having. Well, even when he uh, came back from uh, self-imposed exile in the, the mid-1970s, one of his first albums was called Wavelength, and he had a song on there that uh, was called Kingdom Hall, and it was reminiscing about his mother taking him to Jehovah's Witness meetings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been an ardent purveyor of blues music for for decades, and uh, you know he covers Chicago and... Uh, or going to Chicago, uh, Stormy Monday, Lonely Avenue, and which he, he covers in the same vein as uh, uh, Ray Charles. And uh, I'm the type of guy that listens to Mean Old World and, and uh, Ray Charles, and you, you can't separate the, the, the gospel background from that. And you certainly, 
w when you ask about what he's grappling with, a lot of it is he, he just really feels that uh, he's been done a tremendous disservice by the recording industry. Hmm. And he, he sort of kind of comes across as a kind of a bitter codger. And if you've ever seen him live, uh, very seldom, if ever, do you see him smile on stage. It doesn't seem to be like he's actually really enjoying himself, although he has released what I consider to be some of the best live albums of all time. So, but, you know, religion doesn't always have to be, or faith doesn't always have to be, uh, one of those things of just, you know, joyous rapture. It, it's also something that... Uh, you don't wear it on your sleeve, and you express it in many other ways. And one of those ways is to bring your friends along, like such as he does with Georgie Fame and uh, Ben Sidron, on many of his albums to record what they consider to be the uplifting songs that uh, that they enjoyed the most. So they do a lot of covers. You know, this is uh, Van Morrison who resurrected his song Gloria, which is kind of a, a raunchy love song or lust song it's, it's, mm. it's about teenage romance but uh he re-recorded re it with john lee hooker and uh, i would recommend that to anyone as a song about saying you know at any given point in time you can be that teenager even if you're john lee hooker um a old blues man in your 80s and you can still rock that song out well, I, I think I like how you say that. The, I think I'm drawn to uh, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs that don't fit the mold. There's certainly a place for like pure worship music where someone is, is singing out to God in a, uh, an encouraging or positive way, uh, bringing, trying to bring glory to God through their life. But I, I, I think that what the music that I enjoy most in that context are songs of struggle, songs of questioning, because uh, it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable for a song of questioning to lead me to more questions instead of necessarily to some black and white answer that is, is tidy and packaged well. Sure. Well, and that's like what uh, I think T.S. Eliot said this about the, the poet Charles Baudelaire. He said, well, he approached Christianity through uh, a maze of his own construction, hmm. that he uh, didn't just walk through the front doors of the church. He actually tunneled under the, <laughs> through the sewers to get underneath the cathedral and then burst through the, the, the floor beneath the altar. So... I, I get what you're saying, and I, I agree. I think that there's more than one way to skin the cat, and uh, Van Morrison does it, and I think all the, the three women that we've discussed mm -hmm. today do it as well. Yeah, I, I, I will point back to a couple albums ago. Van Morrison did last year. I think he had an album, but two ago, I believe, was a duets album where he uh, does a duet with Mavis Staples. Lord, if I ever needed someone, I need you. And that, I I think, is just a perfect song with perfect voice of Van Morrison, Mavis Staples, the meaning behind it, the feeling. Uh, it's, it's music at its best. Mavis Staples for president. I, <laughs> I think she's absolutely amazing. Daniel Montgomery from uh, freelance graphic designer, jazz fan, uh, religious music fan and a, a dear, dear friend. Thank you so much for being here today. 
You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. And for Upstream, I'm your host, Bruce Edward Walker. We'll talk to you next week. Well, that brings us to the end of another edition of Radio Free Acton. I want to offer my thanks to uh, Joe Carter, senior editor here at the Acton Institute, for joining me today to talk about his work on this evangelical uh, manifesto on wealth creation. He's got a lot of commentary coming out on the Acton Power blog on that topic, so uh, stay tuned over there at blog.acton.org. Thanks as well to Bruce Edward Walker for another fine edition of Upstream and to Daniel Montgomery for joining him today to talk about jazz and uh, the female vocalists releasing new albums. Thanks as well. Go out to my producer and uh, editor, Carolyn Roberts and Daniel Menjivar, respectively. They did another fine job this week uh, putting this episode together. Uh, And uh, thanks again to you for listening. We do appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed to Radio Free Acton, you can do so on iTunes, Google Play. Please do so. And uh, if you know of others who might be interested in the work of the Acton Institute, the work of building a free and virtuous society, why don't you send them our way? Give them the link to acton.org. And uh, there's all kinds of great content there for people to examine. We've got a fully stocked multimedia section with lots and lots of video and audio to go through. Years worth of content there in our archives. So please do check it out if you haven't done so. It's a, it's a great resource. And uh, once again, thank you so much for listening. We will talk again here on Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Have a good day, everybody.